Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm here today with Becky Reed. Becky, how are you? I'm fantastic, <laughs> Mark. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. You're so excited to be here. That's great. And Becky is a fintech leader, a credit union, and a QSO consultant, a crypto enthusiast, and educator. And she recently started her own LLC, which she'll be talking about, and also has some work going on with Bank Social. Recently was a CEO at a credit union in Texas. And and Becky, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, and I see you on LinkedIn. So I've seen you on other podcasts. I've seen you on on the stage with some NCUA board members, Kyle Hauptman, for example. And so I've gotten to know you through LinkedIn, and we've had one conversation prior to this, but I have heard you on other podcasts, and I'm really excited to kind of chat with you today so that my audience can hear what's going on in your neck of the woods. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. And it's kind of interesting being known by reputation, right? <laughs> As opposed to we haven't had a lot of in-person conversations, but I think you and your audience will find that my LinkedIn posts and my brand is very aligned with what we'll probably talk about today. So if you know me on LinkedIn, then this will be very recognizable. And this will be very similar to that. So when we chatted last time, I know that you had worked at another credit union before. Was it Lone Star that you just recently wrapped up your stint at? Do I have that right? Correct. Yes. And I remember us talking about some of the things that were percolating in your head relative to smaller credit unions and challenges of smaller credit unions. Yet at the same time, you kind of have this visionary thing going on of uh, blockchain and DeFi, that. So that's a unique combination in some ways. So kind of talk a little bit about the journey that you've had in credit unions and maybe how you've gotten to the point now where you decided to, hey, I'm going to go out and do some solo consulting. Yeah. So my credit union career spans two decades, a little more than two decades, actually, kind of probably like 25 years in the credit union space. And I've worked for different sized credit unions, some on the smaller end of the spectrum and some on the larger end of the spectrum. But as you can imagine, when I joined credit unions 25 years ago, we didn't even have websites. Okay. We didn't even have debit cards. That wasn't even a thing. Digital banking wasn't a thing. Online account opening wasn't a thing. Loan origination systems really weren't even a thing, right? I mean, you pulled a credit report and you went and you pulled it off the dot matrix printer that printed in the back room. So I've been kind of on this journey in the credit union space through the 90s and into the early 2000s. And then into the 10s, and now we're into the 20s, right? And so every decade kind of brings about new technology. And I consider myself a technologist, meaning that I'm just very enamored with technology. And because of that, I was always the default technology person in the credit union, right? My computer doesn't work. I call Becky, right? And so because I joined credit union so early and I was interested in technology, I implemented a lot of technology solutions from hardware to software, all kinds of things. And I've been a CEO twice. You kind of alluded to that earlier. Lone Star Credit Union uh, was my last CEO role. Uh, I was at Lone Star Credit Union for a little over 
nine years and ushered in a technology evolution at that credit union, which will continue to live on um, now that I've gone. So you think credit unions and the crypto world, what the heck do those two things have in common? Well, frankly, I just talked about the fact that I'm enamored with technology. And when I first learned about decentralized networks, it really intrigued me. And as I have learned more about it and kind of delved into that whole space, I really feel like distributed ledger technology or blockchain technology is the future of finance. So technology is where it all started. So decentralized network and distributed ledger is one a subset of the other? Do I have that right? Is distributed ledger a type of decentralized network or am I barking up the wrong tree no, there? You're absolutely right. Most people understand what blockchain is because of Bitcoin. Blockchain is a type of distributed ledger, but there's different types of distributed ledgers. It just depends on how it works and how it records information on chain. But yes, distributed ledger technology or DLT kind of encompasses the whole space, but it can be used interchangeably with blockchain. Got it. And so jumping back to two Super Bowls ago when crypto were all the ads, right? And you had all the folks that were in those ads and you had some very bizarre things happen in the crypto world over the last year and a half. That's one side of things. And then there are credit unions who want to make the ability to invest in crypto with the role that youth plays in society. That's something that a lot of credit unions want to be able to offer to their members. That's one side of it. And the other side is distributed ledger, which really has nothing to do with uh, coins, right? And so touch on that and then touch on how setting aside the cryptocurrency side of things, how you see credit unions' potential role in distributed ledger today, tomorrow, five, 10 years from now. Yeah, and it is going to take longer than a year or two in order for this to fully mature. So when you talk about five to 10 years, that's absolutely Right. So I'm not talking about this type of technology changing the world overnight. It will take time for it to kind of get fully integrated into the financial spectrum. But what I do want to address is the bright, shiny object, which I'm going to call cryptocurrency. And that is where the whole hubaloo happened. You mentioned the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and everybody has been paying attention to cryptocurrency. And the reason they're paying attention to it is because some people made a lot of money, right, with Bitcoin. They got into Bitcoin when it came out and it was practically worthless. And people were exchanging Bitcoin to buy pizza to where it ballooned to ridiculous amounts of money, one Bitcoin being worth 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars. I mean, it was crazy. So there were a lot of folks who said, hey, this is something new where I can just make a lot of money. So it got a lot of attention because of that. And not just Bitcoin, but Ethereum and all these other meme coins, right? So you've got Dogecoin and whatever out there. And there was kind of what I call the crypto craze, meaning there was a fear of missing out. And so there was a ton of attention paid on the cryptocurrency side of things and subsequently the crypto exchanges because how you buy cryptocurrency is through an exchange. FTX was a crypto exchange and you just mentioned the Super Bowl. I think FTX had quite a bit of advertising at the Super Bowl. 
And so that got a lot of attention. However, the underlying technology on which cryptocurrency resides is a distributed ledger. Bitcoin specifically rides on a blockchain. That is really where the rubber meets the road. That technology and how the tokens move on chain and how information is recorded on chain immutably is really the magic of why I feel like it's going to be the next evolution of financial services and lots of other things, manufacturing. I mean, there's a lot of use cases for it. But yeah, cryptocurrency was the bright, shiny object. And where all the press has been, the rising and falling of all that, because that's kind of exciting, right? Good or bad? (laughs) What's going to happen now? Whereas kind of the plumbing, the behind the scenes is really not that exciting. But that is really what's going to change the world. Got it. And one of the things you just said was, and that's how it's recorded, right? So one example, I know enough about distributed ledger and blockchain to be dangerous, but one of the things that stuck in my head was an example of how like deeds are recorded. And if you had a municipality that started using blockchain as a way to record that, that ultimately that's very safe and secure and would be faster, et cetera, et cetera. Are there corollaries to the financial world that you could kind of give a summary of how it might be utilized for credit unions, how it might be used for banks, how it might be used for QSOs, et cetera. Absolutely. There are several use cases I can talk about, but for credit union listeners out there, the phrase that will be very familiar to all of us in DLT is that L, which stands for ledger, right? We use a general ledger system in our core software systems. Before we had core software systems, right, we had a paper ledger, an Excel spreadsheet is an example of a ledger. So when I start talking about plumbing or distributed ledger technology, distributed just means that the servers are not centralized. Okay, so think about your core and your general ledger that sits in your core. That is a centralized piece of software that sits on a centralized server. One server, maybe you have a few servers that are replicated to each other and a backup, but it is a centralized server. When you're talking about a distributed ledger and decentralized nodes, you're talking about multiple servers on a network that have to agree or have consensus in order to log a transaction. And when I say immutable, I mean that it can't be changed. So let's kind of compare that to your core general ledger system. Well, you can make adjustments and change that, right? Even after you close the books, you still can go in there and change a general ledger entry from some time in the past, okay? This is why we have auditors. This is why we have examiners, right, that come out and look at our transactions to make sure that everything is compliant, right? That we're doing things in a way that is in the best interest of our members. And that's what a distributed ledger does, but in an immutable way. So in your core, somebody can go in and change something in the past, and now that is your source of truth. If somebody wanted to go back and look at a transaction that had been changed, you can find that breadcrumb trail but it can be challenging. People can cover their tracks when they make changes. On a distributed ledger, you can't do that. So once it's recorded and all of the nodes on the chain agree that a transaction is ready to be recorded, you can't go back and change that transaction. You can make an update to it, but again, that's going to be connected to the original 
transaction. So one use case could be that general ledger transactions are recorded immutably on a blockchain. And the examiners or the auditors who want to come in and look at your general ledger transactions can have a key to go in and look at your blockchain transactions of your general ledger and can have a level of confidence that what they see hasn't been tampered with. So that's one use case that I think folks out there in credit union land will understand. So it could, a lot of things popped into my head. So long, long ago, 1986, I have an accounting degree. When I was hired with NCUA, if you wanted to be an examiner, you had to have an accounting degree. And over time, they've gotten away from that. And I remember being in training. So I had my accounting degree and then I had my first levels of NCUA training classes. And I remember going into my first or second credit union with my on-the-job training and their accounts were all out of balance. They hadn't reconciled their corporates. They had other issues, may or may not have been a little bit of fraudulent activity around the edges. But it was, my eyes were wide open as a theoretically trained accountant who had gone to, taken several classes and got good grades in accounting. And here I am, and we have all these suspense accounts because they don't tell you about suspense accounts when you're learning because everything's a debit or credit, right? It's got to add up. It's got to, I guess, maybe using your terminology, it's got to be immutable right? It's there, permanent, and it's going to balance. So I picture myself, and then you've got the lens I always look through is how would NCUA deal with this, right? And so further away, NCUA got from only having NCUA examiners that did accounting, the more challenging it became for those examiners to understand how to to look at accounting, right? Because if you know that the debits and credits and how they work and you're looking at a suspense account, you can kind of figure out if it has a debit balance, it means it's going to be a write-off. It's If it's got a credit balance, it's a good thing because ultimately it's going to end up as being resolved as a positive to undivided earnings, et cetera. So I'm fascinated by the concept of, I'm scared by it because it's new, right? And because I'm getting, I've been been around. I like technology, but this whole concept kind of, I love it, but I also kind of fears me as I look at it as how I would audit it. Because ultimately, once they get through the journey, I guess, of understanding how it works and understanding how that key works and making sure that the credit union understands that it could lead to less fraud, it could be lead to better books and records, and it could lead to more efficiency, perhaps on the credit union side of things. But that 5, 10, 15, your journey for A, for the credit union to understand it, B, for the service provider, whoever that might be that's providing that blockchain to provide it, and then for NCUA to educate themselves so that they can do the audits or the CPA firms. NCUA relies heavily and credit unions rely heavily on the CPA firms. So all the tentacles of that fascinate me, but I could see how ultimately it could be a better system. Oh, no doubt. And what's really awesome about distributed ledger technology. And the reason it's called crypto, by the way, is because it is encrypted with cryptography. All right. So that's the encryption mechanism that is being used to record the data on chain cryptography, which has been around for a long, long, long time. Right. But what's really cool and different than what we're using today is today we're using kind of a mishmash of analog type of technology and digital technology. And distributed ledger technology or crypto lives 100% in the digital space. And it's all code. So the things that you can do using code make this technology the next iteration of the future. You probably heard of Web3. 
that is the next iteration of the internet that is foundationally designed on a distributed ledger technology. But it creates things that are very difficult to do today and makes them much faster and much easier. So here's another use case, because I know that you worked at NCUA. I've worked in the credit union space for a long time. I've worked with examiners. And so I want to provide examples to your audience that I think would be applicable and interesting to them. So let's talk about call report data, okay? So from the credit union perspective, filling out the call report is super, super manual, right? I have to have a bunch of data that come from a bunch of different sources so that I can plug in that data into, frankly, a dumb form. It's just a form that I have to fill out and fill in the blanks, right? There's no code today written to just take that data from my core and just plug it in to, but guess what? the technology already exists to be able to integrate and make those things happen. And there are some integrations. I understand there's some data analytics tools that can plug in and help you fill out the call report. But the call report itself that you pull up on the NCUA site is a dumb form. It's just fill in the blanks, right? You can put in, I mean, really, you can put in whatever you want. Absolutely. And you can put something else in different the next quarter and you could have a new person do it the next quarter. And NCUA could then come in and do their exam and go, well, which one's the truth, right? In March, you said it was these five numbers. In June, you're saying it's these six numbers. And NCUA says, and I think it should be these eight numbers. So both of those are wrong and it should be this one, right? And that's not good for anybody. Right. And so now you have to have all the documentation to prove that the numbers you put in there were accurate. And again, you're all of that documentation, you're really trusting a centralized database that may or may not have been tampered with, frankly. So the examiners come in and that's what they do, right? That's one of their jobs to look at, and the state examiner, same thing, to look at your call report data, your financial data, and kind of have those checks and balances on the back end to make sure that what you're reporting is correct. And so all of that and the peer data, I mean, let's talk about the data that comes out from NCUA. It is a quarter behind. How truly can our regulator keep up with the speed? Let's just talk about what just happened recently with the whole run on deposit debacle, which was blamed on crypto. Okay. Since we're talking about distributed ledger technology But some banks failed because the speed at which people took the money out, unprecedented, 48 hours, billions of dollars leaving a financial institution, which no financial institution could survive that. And that was precipitated by the fact that people are doing things digitally. They can log into their digital banking on Sunday afternoon at two o'clock and schedule a wire to go out Monday morning at eight o'clock. And that's what they did. Now, that is the speed at which things move today. However, our regulator is not publishing trend data and the banks are not much better, okay? But I'm gonna talk about Cardine specifically because that's the world in which we live, right, Mark? So we're looking at peer data and trend data that is in some cases up to six months old. How awesome would it be? And this is possible. All of that stuff can be put on chain and can be published near real time so that at any point in time, An examiner or the NCUA board or whoever has the keys to look at this data, it could be Callahan, it could be whoever, can just go out there and look and take a pulse check 
Well, what do credit unions, what does their capital look like? Well, let's narrow it down to credit unions in Texas or in Dallas, or let's look at the nationwide example. Let's look at ROA. Let's look at loan to share. All of that is possible using DLT and very powerful. So what pops into my head when we talk about the lag time on NCUA's data being available. So as we speak right now, since we're recording this July 12th, NCUA is having a national conference down in New Orleans where they have all their staff. Uh, it used to be, it's the first fully national conference they had since just before I started in NCUA in 86, 84, 85, they had one in Las Vegas. And actually, Edgar Callahan was the chairman of NCUA at the time. I came on right after Callahan left. But flashing forward, say, boy, I don't know, four, six, eight years, I was at a national conference and it was a very interesting time because this was when uh, collateralized mortgage obligations were an investment that had had a lot of challenges with it. At the time, there was this big thumbs up and this big thumbs down and whether or not the stress tests. And so all this data had gone into NCUA's call reports. And there was a request from Congress that came in asking for FDIC and for NCUA to provide information, the most current information relative to what was going on in the financial institutions and these collateralized mortgage obligations. And so FDIC sent their data, NCUA sent their data, and I don't know if the right word is massaged or reviewed. I guess NCUA hadn't fully reviewed or massaged that data when it went out. And so the data that they sent to Congress was a little bit more draconian than what the actual numbers were. And it actually led to NCUA and a locking down. That was the event that triggered NCUA to say, okay, we need to have more belts and suspenders to make sure that we've reviewed this data, that we've validated it. When you upload your call reports, it gets validated and they check this number against that number. And they have all these things behind the scenes to make sure that it's not out of balance. And they made that far more robust after this one big event that embarrassed that current leadership at NCUA when that happened. And it made the system better as far as accuracy, but it also slowed it down as far as kind of the example that you're saying that is that there's this lead time and there's this lag time. And the other thing that pops into my head is the trade associations and NCUA on occasion talks about a virtual examination and exams are done more offsite. Life is done more online. Exams are done more offsite. And there's this virtual exam. And I was on a podcast where they asked me when they'll get fully virtual. And I don't think they'll ever be fully virtual. And that's because of the fraud element of things you need to. NCUA needs to have some FaceTime, some presence face-to-face -face because it's kind of like the empty cop car, right? They put an empty cop car out there because you see it and it makes you slow down. NCUA just showing up makes people think about the fact that they show up and that they do an exam, et cetera, et cetera. So while you can do a lot of it offsite, you can't necessarily do all of it offsite. I could see that these technologies are going to allow NCUA to come closer to that fully virtual exam too. And then also kind of linking it to that outflow of deposits. How do you assist those institutions that might need liquidity? How do those institutions measure what's happening and how they can go to the federal home bank or go to the central liquidity facility or go to their corporate if it's happening so fast that your data is stale. So perfectly imbalanced data and current data, I think, can help everybody the lines. And it sounds like this technology ultimately might help us in that arena. Well, too. and Mark, this is why you read a little bit about kind of my descriptor on LinkedIn and crypto enthusiast and educator. And one of the things that I'm involved with is a nonprofit organization called Block Advocates that is dedicated 
to educating credit union folks, including regulators, on this type of technology in an agnostic way that doesn't promote any sort of product or vendor or brand. And this is why I think that regulators and credit union core software providers, digital banking providers, loan origination system providers, anybody who provides credit union services or products needs to pay attention to this. I think that regulators need to pay attention to it. And right now, a lot of people go back to what you talked about, which is the cryptocurrency thing. Right. And you get this immediate red buzzer, stop, we're not talking about this. This cryptocurrency thing is a fad, or you get the fear, the whole FTX thing and the Ponzi scheme and all of that. And certainly those things happened and those are part of the ecosystem. But the magic about this technology really isn't that. It is some of the things that I've been talking about. And this is why I think that regulators need to be paying attention to this technology. And let's talk about these kinds of things that we're talking about. Better data reporting, better data analytics, better ways to ensure that the share insurance fund is protected and consumers are protected from potential bad actors. And this type of technology can help solve those problems and do it in a way that is much less labor intensive and much faster to analyze than anything we have today. That's a great point. And NCUA, this current NCUA board, more open than maybe FDIC and OCC For sure. are. There's a joint letter that came out from all the other regulators that aggressive was the word was in my head. And NCUA has a letter to credit unions that came out that talked about that they want credit unions contemplate how these things might be able to move the industry forward. And this board has been kind of leading the charge, if you will, relative to that. And one of the thinking about FTX and crypto, board member Kyle Hauptman, on occasion, I've heard him say, how many planes crashed before you had planes, right? And FTX was a functional equivalent of a crypto crash, plane crash, right? And here we are today. And I'm reading a book about the Wright brothers right now in the back when the Wright brothers went from building bicycles, contemplating building airplanes, and then they ended up building airplanes. And in the book, they're talking about how everybody's saying it's absolutely crazy to be thinking that people can fly, right? And here we are, it's the safest mode of transportation. And ultimately, perhaps distributed ledger is going to be the safest form of a lot of things. I believe that. And that's why I think we need to be paying attention to it and try to disseminate and get through the noise. Uh, this time period is very similar to the internet. Kyle Hopman talks about that too. That Remember the internet thing, the big bubble that burst and kind of have to go through those kinds of things with emerging technologies in order to get to the real use cases. But the real use cases are definitely there. And the few that I've mentioned are like tip of the iceberg. Sure. They're good examples, though, that I think can get people thinking how it can help our industry. So we've talked a little bit offline about Bank Social, and we've talked a little bit offline about your new LLC. Let's chat about those here for my audience. So Bank Social and B-R-A-A-S LLC. I like the name. Explain where that came from. And, and let's talk about those two things that you've got going on today. Okay. So I am a technologist. Um, as I've spoken about before, I'm the co-founder of a QSO called Peer IT that provides technology infrastructure services for credit unions. 
And because of that, the infrastructure piece, you're talking about hardware, you're talking about networks. And now, of course, we're talking about cloud. And with PRIT, we were able at Lone Star Credit Union to go 100% virtual from desktops to servers way back in 2016. And that was a game changer for my credit union, especially at the asset size that we were at, which was about 110 million at the time. Then came my interest in this distributed ledger technology and helping usher in kind of that evolution, technology evolution for Lone Star. So that kind of created the Becky Reed as a service, which is what B-R-A-A-S or BRASS. And it's a little bit of a pun because there's software as a service, right? right? And so Becky Reed as a service is my consulting firm. And I specialize in helping credit unions and QSOs understand each other. So I help QSOs understand credit unions. So selling to credit unions, pitching to credit unions for investment, getting proof of concepts, partnerships with credit unions, and then on the credit union side, helping them understand how to utilize QSOs in order to grow. And I am the board chairman for NACUSA, which is the National Association of Credit Union Service Organizations. And so I'm very passionate about technology and QSOs. So Bank Social kind of came into the scene when Lone Star Credit Union was taking a look at its data and seeing that our members were buying cryptocurrency back in late 21 and early 22. So I engaged with the CEO of Bank Social, who actually reached out to me on LinkedIn, which you mentioned, Mark, because he wanted to start a credit union. So it's kind of interesting because this whole DeFi space, that's decentralized finance space, is kind of a groundswell movement that is very similar to the credit union movement where people are in charge of their own finances and they own their financial institution. And so that whole DeFi movement and credit unions have a very similar ethos. So John Wingate, being in the DeFi space, wanted to start a credit union. So he was in the process of doing that. And NCUA told him, you might want to get a credit union person to help advise you. So he reached out to several credit union folks on LinkedIn. I happened to respond. And because I was a DeFi enthusiast, we hit it off right away. And so that's been a year and a half ago. And Lone Star Credit Union launched the very first self-custody crypto exchange with Bank Social back in August of 2022. And the Rivia stablecoin, where the deposits backing the stablecoin are sitting at credit unions. Credit unions are not issuing the stablecoin. They're just holding the deposits. But because of that and kind of where I am in my career, I left Lone Star Credit Union, left it in really, really great hands. Marcy Phillips, I was my protege. She took over as the CEO of Lone Star Credit Union and will take them forward, continuing what we started together nine years ago. But I felt it was time to kind of get out and help the whole industry. So that's what Brass is all about. And so, yes, I'm also working with Bank Social. Just announced this week that I'm the chief operating officer at uh, Bank Social. We will be building and have already built out a really robust suite of products that utilizes this new emerging technology in order to help members and help credit unions in the ways that I have talked about previously. So doing both of those things kind of at the same time, doing the consulting with Brass through PRIT, as well as uh, working with Bank Social to usher in the future of finance. 
That's fantastic. That's exciting. You're going to be a busy adventurer on these whole exciting area of the world, really, and how it relates to credit union. I'm excited for you. I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to chat here today. Becky, is there a question that I should have asked you perhaps today that I did not ask you? Or if there's not, how would you like to wrap any final thoughts for the audience today? I just would like to say that we could have gone forever talking about lots of different things, uh, Mark, but I just want Cardi Union folks to embrace this new technology because it's really just a new way of doing what we've always done. When you really kind of look under the hood, it looks and feels a lot like what we already do, just in a better, faster, and less expensive and more secure way. So please keep an open mind. That would be my final parting words. And Mark, I'm so thankful that you had me on the show today. I hope that it provides an educational opportunity for your audience. It educated me a little bit every time I chat with you or I learn a little bit more. And I think my audience is going to feel the same. And Becky, if someone wants to talk to you about how you might be able to assist them on things they've got going on, whether they're a CUSO or whether they're credit union, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you? LinkedIn is probably the best way. You can just look up Becky Reed on LinkedIn and connect with me that way. Of course, Bank Social and Brass LLC, you can look those up as well. But LinkedIn is kind of that single source that is the best way to reach out to me. You got it. LinkedIn's growing in its importance as far as ways to communicate people. And, and I'll see you on there again soon. And Becky, thank you so much for sharing your time today with my audience. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You got it. And listeners, I want to thank you also for listening to this episode. Hopefully you'll listen again soon. This is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 